Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the NeuroDive podcast, uh, which, and this particular episode is part two in a series that I've, I've kind of done, well, one episode for, obviously, because it's part two, that uh, I'm going to be doing over the next couple of months, really, called ADHD and me, question mark. Uh, so I won't go over all the details again if you've listened to that one, and if you haven't, go back and listen to it. This one won't make much sense. Although the title's fairly self-explanatory, I'm looking into whether I might myself potentially have some attention differences. Uh, so what the way that I'm going about it, which you know I've kind of I've put together a bit more of a plan now. So if you have listened to episode one, uh, then this is just sort of adding on to that. But by the way, if you're not interested in this, which you might not be. You know, it's, it's not even guaranteed that I'm going to end up turning out to have a diagnosis. It's just a bit of an exploratory journey for me. If you're not interested, do listen to the other episodes. The, the other guests are probably far more interesting than me. So you know, don't, don't let this put you off. If, you're, if you are interested in that journey uh, and sharing it with me and my thoughts on it, then uh, you're in the right place. Keep listening. So where where am I at the moment right so I went away from the first episode uh, and I sort of looked into getting hold of as many different ADHD uh, online screening forms screening forms in general uh, the as many I managed to get hold of a, a diver which I can't remember what that stands for I should have details like this which people are suggesting is perhaps uh, a sign that the answer I'm looking for is, is already kind of answered but DIVA stands for something probably diagnostic interview of something in adulthood I don't know but it, it the, the DIVA 2.0 is the version I got hold of for free online just through for googling uh, I think there's a 5.0 which is the most current but I, I'm, I'm ready to be uh, educated on this by someone more in the know and if you do have understanding of the process that you can share with me by all means uh, email me at neurodivetraining at gmail.com or in the comments when this goes on facebook or, or on the on soundcloud or anything like that i should be able to get hold of it so yeah so i'm, I'm using that but i stopped myself so i started looking at all the, all the screening ones i looked at uh, i printed off some that i could share with my parents and my partner my wife uh, which I can talk about in a second. Uh, but I didn't, I started looking at the, the DIVA, I'm going to keep calling it that, D-I-V-A, and there were some real specifics of examples that you could give to check uh, whether someone had answered a question properly. And I, I stopped myself there because I thought, I do want some impartiality. And, and I can look at those categories now. I know enough about ADHD. I know enough about the diagnostics to to know which ones are going to get me a certain result. And it's very hard to stay objective. And even though I'm telling myself I don't mind the outcome, and I, I, I think that's true, depending on how I feel at that point, I could, could sway it a different way. So uh, I've enlisted the help of someone that I mentioned in the first episode, Sylvia Hayward-Pinella, who is currently a lecturer, I think, at Plymouth University, but I'm definitely going to get her on uh, to talk about it either you know, on, on this podcast or um, just get her on anyway as a guest because she's just awesome. She's been a bit of a mentor of mine uh, throughout my professional career, really. And so she has, she's been trained in delivering the ADOS for, for a long time uh, and is a 
I think a clinical psychologist. I think she's got a PhD in something. I don't know what. Very, very well-educated and academic lady, but with a real uh, empathy for the family situation and a real positive autistic identity uh, approach. So, you know, definitely want to get her on here. Uh, in fact, you're probably listening now thinking, well, get her on. We don't want to listen to you, you waffler. Uh, but anyway, she's going to look at what the diagnostics entail and she's going to try and deliver that to me. But I had a chat with her the other day that was really interesting because having looked at all the screening, briefly looked into the diagnostics, I'm more confused than ever because they are so subjective. Like the, the, the terminology that is used on nearly all of those screen, early screening things is that you differentiate whether something happens rare, never, rarely, sometimes, or often. And usually it's when you tick often, that tends to be uh, the, the thing that puts the score up that indicates, yes, this, there might be some strong potential here for ADHD. What the fuck is often? What does that even mean? I mean, I spoke to my wife about it, who's a, an OT uh, in, in the stroke support unit here in Exeter, and she... Uh, she said that she was aware of like depression scales and anxiety scales that would almost give like a, a bit of clarity about what often would mean. Uh, so it would be perhaps daily means often and all this kind of stuff. But there wasn't that, it, there was nothing that I could find on this, um, on these uh, sort of ADHD screening things to, to give you that guidance. It just literally said, do you think it's often? Um, but I printed off the, the screening forms nonetheless, and I sent them to my mum and dad. Um, and they did their best. The, the ones I got hold of had asked the parents to score the, um, the categories. So that for any of you that aren't familiar, they're things like uh, struggles to sit still or, you know, uh, often arrives without items for the required activity or task, things like that. Um, but you had to score them before the age of seven. Now, I'm 39. I won't, you know, share my parents' ages without their consent. Um, but, you know, they they both said, look, I, I've got to be honest, I can't really remember when you were seven fucking ages ago. So there's an element of that. I also think dad was probably working full-time at the time and, and you know mum was doing more of the childcare. I don't you know um and I also know I was a completely different kid in secondary school than I was in primary I'm not quite sure why but I, like a switch flipped in secondary school but so they did the best um and if you look at one which is my dad's I wouldn't meet any early screening because they were all ones and twos at best they're all something he'd ticked sometimes a couple of times and rarely for most of it um my mum's she had a lot more she had a couple of threes which is the maybe not no maybe a four i can't remember she had a couple of oftens um but again i don't think enough to meet the, 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 the sort of screening criteria and then she had lots of sometimes which might suggest again if you're thinking subjectively as a mum oh, it was not a problem it's not not unnormal it's just normal but he did do that sometimes I don't know you know I, I, 
again, that could be me wanting to justify that I do have ADHD. My wife's was interesting. She had to do it, scored over the last six months, and hers was definitely the highest. In fact, I think hers would have put me at a high enough score for further further explanation. Um, what's possibly revealing about the whole situation um, is I don't know what I've done with the forms. <laughs> I had them about a week ago, using to make some notes on. One got a tea stain on it, I remember that. And I can't find them. So, and that is my life <laughs> in general, <laughs> constant battle to keep hold of the stuff that I need. And that's, that has been, you know, with me for a long, long time. I think even when I was quite young, uh, but I was a bit more of a sort of just daydreamer, um, going with the flow. But, and also at that age, you know, see, before the age of seven, your mum's doing lots of stuff for you. So if you do forget shit, or you don't have to, you know, if, if you've got that kind of mum, which I did, you know, I was very spoiled, only child, but I think they did some fantastic things as well, as part of what this journey is about. Um, but anyway, you know, so it, the other thing with that which surprised me, and again, this was just, I only got hold of those early screening forms by emailing a company I was going to pay to do it. And then I think I mentioned in the last episode, they put their prices up by 300 quid. So Sodom, I was just going to look into himself. Um, and I know Sylvia, so haha. And I get away mentioning by name, but you know, 300 quid, really? In space, two months? Fuckers. Uh, but anyway, um, what was I saying then? What was I saying then? Yeah. So they, they got, got the forms from this company. And my understanding was that. They recently changed in the diagnostics so that you had to see symptoms present before the age of 12, and it used to be seven, and they changed that because they were finding lots of the symptoms, and I'm only using the terminology that's in the medical diagnostic, I don't agree with it, but lots of those symptoms, uh, they, they didn't become as visible, particularly in, in another setting until the age of 12. So often a parent might not necessarily notice them or a parent would really notice them, but the school wouldn't for whatever reason. Um, and I think, you know, I could hazard a guess at that reason because I just think the whole formatting and setup of a primary to secondary is hugely different and actually quite a big error in our education system anyway, that you get someone still at a sort of very formative age and may not be even whether they are having neurodivergence or not, you know, might struggle with lots of things like impulse control, like regulating, regulating anxiety, like socialising on, in, particularly in front of lots of crowds or big numbers, which secondary schools are huge. Whereas in primary, you've got this sort of automatic, more nurturing environment, where it's one, one teacher that knows them well, the same TAs, the same classroom, the same group of kids that they're with for, long period of time so they can form relationships and figure things out and then you go to secondary <laughs> loads going on um so yeah that, i think that plays a part potentially and is possibly why that to my knowledge why that was changed uh, i could again i could be wrong on that i'm, I'm sure that was the case I, I need to look into these things really and stop being so lazy and just asking you guys to listen to correct me um but again, I do want to try at the moment, I do want to try and be objective. So I want to get other opinions 
and then look into myself, look into it more myself and say, right, well, that is because I look again, I looked at like the, the first example on the on the DIVA. And then it asked, so initially the statement, which I can't quite remember what the first one was. Uh, can't remember. I've got it up here. Anyway, that's not going to be good for you to, to listen to. But whatever it was, when I read the statement, I was like, mm, not sure, actually, if I would say that as often. And then when I said, like, you know, see if there are any examples of this in their life. And, and there were lots of the examples that were written underneath. So... I think if I look into it, I'm fairly, I'm actually fairly sure I'm, I'm going to score highly if I do it on myself. But there are some things I've been thinking about in counter to that. So I've played rugby my whole life. I've never officially been concussed, but I've taken a lot of hits to the head, which does have an effect on your, your impulse control, your, your executive functioning, uh, you know, lots of the, Things associated with CTE, which I don't think I have, by the way, but you know, I'm just you know, thinking outside the box in as many ways as I can. That they they do play a part in that impulsivity, that executive functioning. So maybe there's that. You know, um, again, personally, I just I just think the whole issue my journey through it so far is just highlighting to me the whole issue with the diagnostic with a with the idea that you draw a line on someone's neurotype and you say well you are really really close to being autistic but not quite and you are really really close to having ADHD but not quite so you're not you know you because we don't score in levels because that's not what it's about anyway so to me, the, the sort of paradigm of neurodiversity and neurodivergence, it, it, I think it, it, it's kind of, it's something we're still exploring, I think, even what it means. Because to me, perhaps there isn't as much of a neurodivergence. It's, it's just that, well, I suppose there is got, there's got to be a majority, I suppose. There has to be a majority and then neurotypical, if you like. I just don't think it's that clear cut. It's not like neurotypicals are all over here and they're all exactly the same, just in the same way that autistic people are all over here and exactly the same. There's, there's that spectrum idea, which we, you know, we always come back to. Um, but again, we misuse it. And actually, it's more of that kind of kaleidoscope idea, you know, not that people are more autistic or less autistic or anything like that it's just that, that people are different um, and, and these particular differences lend themselves to this definition um, of autistic but then again even that is that i don't know maybe i'm even against labels i don't know anymore it's mad and it's, it's again it's hard for me to comment on because i'm not someone who is officially or, or, or um yeah, officially or unofficially identifying as autistic. Uh, so I'd, if those people say they want it to be autistic, they want it to be a label, they want that's what they want, that's what I'm behind. That's what I'm driven by. But I have to say, I wonder if my, my actual belief, if I was able to sort of convince people of something, I, I just do wonder if the pathologizing, if the putting people into boxes of definitions has actually potentially done more harm than it has good. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, that was a hell of a bloody tangent there. Um, 
but again as someone who hasn't experienced it and even if even if now loads comes forward and and you know ev- uh, just there's too much evidence to say I'm not and actually almost consider it an official diagnostic and maybe even then pay to get one uh which I don't I still don't think I would do but maybe um I can't then I don't think I can speak as someone that's had to make that decision of identity because I'm doing this almost through I'm not driven by uh, a need of emotional clarity I, I don't quite know how to articulate it but it's not I mean, I'm literally it's like an experiment which sounds really crass and horrible when I say it out loud, which was trying to find a fancy way of saying what the other way of doing it would be. But you know what I mean? It's not driven by a, a pain, a suffering, a need for identity, because I don't know who I am. Um, it's just an interest. I'm just interested, to be honest, which makes, you know, which means, again, I can't really speak to the, the pain or the um, struggle for identity that maybe others can. So... That's why I will be led forever by the, the community of, of people that I'm trying to offer support to anyway. Um, but it might be that if, if it turns out, I mean, you know, everyone I speak to, so the other person I'll be getting help from is Harry Thompson, who is now um, providing initial screening for neurodivergence as part of his cons- consultation practice. Um, they're not in any way official and he he would be the first to openly say that on on the on the sort of um sessions he offers but you know he, he knows lots he knows his apples he, that's his that's his interest focus that's his life is is knowing about diagnostics um and things like that so uh definitely worth worth looking into if you're if you're a bit like me just sort of unsure what to do or where to go with it um and again you know he he, he wouldn't be able to provide anything that you could use to officially uh, have that diagnosis but in terms of self-identification you know there's a lot of merit in in, in hearing from him um so he's going to do one of those for me live so people can kind of get an idea of what he's offering um so that again, but I, I know what, <laughs> this is the, the trouble. I already know what, what he thinks. It would be very hard, I think, for him to be impartial because he's, he, said, he said to me, I've never met anyone as ADHD as you. But again, he may have just been trying to convince me. Um, so, yeah, so I don't know. I, don't, I still don't really know where, where I think it's going to go. I, sp- I spoke to Sylvia, but she's a very professional um switched on lady and I was trying to read her so like, she what, what does she think um I think she thinks I am as well <laughs> and she brought up you know that the sort of Russell Barkley idea that I'd kind of shared with her um you know a few years ago um that she then got into look into and probably understand more than me it's usually the way of things Actually, no, normally she just, she tells me about something and I'm like, wow, that's blowing my mind. Um, so the thing she reminded me of is the impulsivity that, that actually, 
you know some of the current thinking or most current thinking about ADHD is it's that that uh, impulse control that inhibition that is pretty much at the core of all the the other issues so it's not actually an issue of attention holding it's an issue of not filtering out distraction not not overriding the impulse to go and do something else uh, to fight that boredom if you like so and that is something I can definitely definitely relate to and that is something that when I explain that to my wife she's like "Mm, okay Um, but again I don't know if I was that impulsive when I was younger I think it it didn't it didn't happen in late late life you know again 12 13 onwards really I can't again I can't I can't remember much about primary school you know, uh, school reports wise, which, you know, I, I can remember because mum and dad always made a joke about it. But primary school, I'd get really, really lovely school reports, you know, model pupil, all this, which is bizarre. And then I think my first week at Clisvale at my secondary school, I had three letters home. <laughs> my parents were like, what, like in tears. My mum came back from the first parents evening in year seven in absolute bits. She's like, what's happened? Um, so I don't know. I don't know what that was about. Uh, I, might, I guess I might have to dig up some of the old reports, but I don't know. It's all a bloody mess, really, isn't it? Why am I even doing this? <laughs> um, again, I think, you know, just to reiterate, reiterate, ooh, a bit of a lift. Um, my wife always jokes that I've got Jamie Oliver tongue, which is too big for my mouth, which is why I talk like I do. So, okay, she's always full of support. <laughs> um, yeah, in terms of why, again, my I I wonder if there's things to be learned, not in a preachy way, because I didn't. It wasn't on purpose, totally by accident, but from what I've experienced and been through and I think come out in a good way. <laughs> Again, you find that hard to pitch. Like, by the way, I'm ADHD and here's how I did it. As if like I'm some sort of paragon of, of functionality, which I'm fucking far from. Um, but what I would say is I certainly don't, one thing I don't relate to whenever I'm hearing from lots of, of neurodivergent people, whether it's attention differences or, or, or being autistic. Um, and it's quite a hard thing to say because I provide support to, to those people for this thing that I don't relate to. But um, that's why I work so hard on empathy and why I think empathy is actually understanding you can't always understand what someone else has been through because you haven't been through that. So, but you can listen and, and try and understand and, and try and validate it. <laughs> and connect with it but I've never I don't think had that um that and again I'm maybe I guess that's difficult because I'm then assuming that everybody that's autistic has done or everyone but I think it's fair to say there is a high proportion of autistic people and people and ADHD people with ADHD that have struggled from mental health implications self low self-esteem anxieties um, and I don't think I have and that's the bit I can't connect with and even to the point where again I, I almost stopped the whole thing I, I read the start of the, the DIBA 
and it said, oh, I really must find it. I'm bloody quoted. Where is it? I've got about a million tabs open at the moment, which again is a bit of a clue, potentially. Um, but where is the, the old diva thing? I can't, this podcast cannot be me just clicking on something. Come on, Sam, find it quicker. Talk amongst yourselves, which you can't do on a podcast. Terrible. Well, I will give up on it. Give up on it. Uh, I will get that sorted next time, be a bit more prepared. Uh, again, impulsively, just decided I want to do, wanted to do this episode about 10 minutes ago. So, well, not 10 minutes ago, because I think it's been longer than 10 minutes since I started. So, but anyway, right at the start of this tool um, for assessment for diagnosis, uh, symptoms must be causing psycho or sociological in, impairment or difficulties, you know, something bad, basically, which again, I don't know if that happened for me. So does that put me out of the game straight away? Or by doing this, are we sort of proving that the pathologizing isn't working for whatever reason? You know, that labeling isn't working for whatever reason. And that needs to change. Anyway, I'm going to crack on. Um, yeah, thanks for listening. <laughs>